Good afternoon. New Covenant Baptist Church. It is a joy to be here. If you guys don't know me, I'm Akin Omisimi. I have the joy of serving as one of the elders at Grace Baptist Church. Um, I want to let you know we pray for you guys often, and I'm grateful that you guys are praying for us as well. So thank you for welcoming me and my family uh, to come and worship with you all. You guys are a singing church. Um, You guys are a praying church, and I'm already encouraged. Um, I love your Pastor James. He is a hero of mine. Um, I call him all the time for church planting advice. Uh, Me and my family are are planning to plant a church in Baltimore City. And then, you know, with that, I I think Joe was here a couple weeks ago as well. So I know you guys are a a supporter of One Hope. So praise God for that. Thank you for your support and your prayers. I'm grateful that I have brothers like James and Joe um, in my corner. I'm grateful for their friendship and their brotherhood. So thank you for having me, brother. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. Hear the word of God. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the word of God. Let's pray together. Father God, it is me, your son. Again, I come bearing my two fish and my five loaves, I pray that you would use it to feed your people. Keep us encouraged in the Lord. Allow us to live as ambassadors for Christ. I pray that you would make your appeal through us to be reconciled to Christ. Use us for your kingdom and for your glory. 
Show us the very love of Jesus and the face of Jesus through your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On June 13th, 1845, Charles Octavius Booth was born into slavery in Mobile, Alabama. His grandparents modeled for him of what it looked like to be a Christian. From a young age, he encountered these teachers that taught him how to read by using a tin plate. Due to his ability to read, which was illegal in that time, he got a job as an errand boy at a law firm. There he picked up the Bible for the first time and he encountered the book of Romans, which led to his conversion. With the end of the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation, Booth found himself being a free man. He went on to plant two churches, the First Colored Baptist Church in Maradon, Mississippi, and Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He also wrote a, a systematic theology book that was so simple, his desire was for the, the sharecroppers on those plantations to understand who God was. The title of that book is Plain Theology for Plain People. And inside that book, this is what he said about evangelism. He said, Christians ought to do all that lies in their power to teach, to make disciples of all nations according to the Lord's great commission. See, Booth had the desire to obey the Lord's command, and so should we. The main idea for today's message is the cause and the effects of our evangelism are more about God and less about us. Consider this question with me. What motivates you to talk about Jesus? What motivates you to share your faith with others? The people at work or your neighbor across the street, your co-workers, your family members, your friends, what motivates you to share the good news of the gospel with strangers? Church, I'll be the first to confess that I feel like I am obligated to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm a church planter for crying out loud. I should be sharing my faith daily and weekly, causing, calling people to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, every time I'm on a plane, I sit down and I say, okay, the Lord is going to bring someone to sit next to me. I'm a friendly guy, so I, it starts off with small talk. How are you doing? What do you do? Why are you on this plane? And then eventually it leads to me talking about Jesus. Talking about how he has changed my life. How encountering him caused me from go from death to life. See, I confess, even this past week, as I was studying God's word to, to be able to stand before you all, I was in a coffee shop and I was wondering, there are so many people here that probably don't know Jesus Christ. I should stop what I'm doing and, and share the gospel with these people. But then I said, no, someone's got to prepare for Sunday sermon. <laughs> what about you, beloved? What kind of excuses do you come up with of why you don't share the wonderful message of the gospel? Just to, be, just to be sure that we're on the same page about the gospel, here's a, a brief definition. The gospel is the message that God is holy and people are not. 
But Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he died on a cross in our place. And he was raised three days later for those who turn away from their sins and repent and believe in the gospel. They will have eternal life. That's the good news. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. This is what we're called to share freely. You see, this message that we're called to share, it produces disciples. See, I'm convinced deep down in our hearts, we, we want to share it. But we get awkward. We get afraid. When the opportunities present themselves, we grow silent. We talk ourselves off the ledge. We say things like, I don't know what to say. They might reject me. They might think that I am out of my mind. Let me tell you, being a Christian and following Jesus Christ, that means you love people and you want them to know the wonderful message of the gospel. Despite their rejection. You see, people, when they reject you, know this. They first rejected Jesus Christ. You see, despite your weaknesses, despite the lies that you believe about yourself, God has given you everything that you need to be his ambassadors, to be an effective evangelist. Do you believe this? So let's drop the excuses and let's dive in. You see, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul was up against the same temptations you and I face. The same temptations regarding the ministry of, of a, being an evangelist. He was criticized. He was rejected. He was made fun of. They said that he was too weak. They say that he suffered a lot, that he wasn't well educated because his words were not impressive. He wasn't a very impressive communicator. You see, these false teachers, they came into the church of Corinth. They said, don't listen to Paul. He's a nobody. He's not a gifted, gifted speaker. He suffers a lot. He's not a legit teacher. If he was, he would be a very skillful communicator. He would be impressive. You see, this is one of the main reasons why Paul wrote this letter, to, to defend his ministry. To remind the ones he loved, this very church that he planted, that, hey, you are my letters of recommendation. You are the proof that I did not do this for my own gain. That I loved you so dearly. You see, the motivation of his ministry was dumb. You see, why he evangelized and why he persuaded others to, to follow Jesus was because of their trust in Jesus Christ. And I think God, through Paul, he has a word for us today. He wants to remind us of our motivations of why we should go and make disciples of all nations, despite our weaknesses, despite our suffering, and where we're at in life, that we can share the gospel boldly for the glory of God and not for the glory of self. I have two points for you guys this afternoon. They're going to be in the form of two questions. Point one, what causes us to evangelize? And point two, what are the effects of our evangelism? So let's answer these questions together. What are the causes of our evangelism? What is the motivation for us to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Begin with me in, in verse 11. Paul begins by saying, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You see, the therefore there, he's pointing us back to um, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10, which says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat 
of Christ. So that everyone may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul, is, he's painting a picture for us of Jesus seated, seated on his throne. Jesus is ruling as king of kings and lord of lords and the judge of all the earth. You see, the fear of the Lord is first knowing that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. One day we're going to see our savior and our judge. See, when was the last time you thought about the judgment seat of Christ? This is not something that we wake up out of bed and we roll out and think about, is it? But let me change that for you. That day is going to be a a glorious day for us, Christian. That day is going to be a day where we get to see Jesus in his glory. That day will be a day that we we're not standing upon our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a glorious day. We're going to stand before a holy God, a loving God, a gracious God. The same God who who took on human flesh, who dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life and who died the death that we all deserved on the cross. That's the God that we're going to see face to face. The one who loved us perfectly to the point of dying for us. See, church, perfect love cast out fear. There's no fear in love. God loves you. Jesus would judge us not based upon our sin, but based upon what we have done with him in the body. Based upon what we have done with his power and with his strength, with his life inside of us. You see, all of that will be brought to light. The text says that each one would give an account of what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This means we can't hide behind our parents. We can't hide behind our big sister, our our friends. Heck, you can't even hide behind your pastors. We will give an account for what we have done with Jesus. You see, evangelism is not just the task of the elders of the church, the deacons of the church. Evangelism is the task of every Christian, every church member. We get the privilege of sharing this wonderful message together. How are we uh, creating that a culture here of evangelism? You see, Paul is saying that knowing the fear of the Lord is what motivates his service. It's what motivates his ministry. It motivates him to, to speak boldly. Friend, it is the thought that one day we'll stand in front of love himself. We will stand in front of our comforter, our hope, our righteousness. Our gentle and lowly Savior. It'll be a day that we will see him and be just like him. Clothed in his righteousness. You see, we will all individually look into the face of love. The face of grace. You see, this is what motivates our evangelism. This is what motivates us to call people to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go out and do evangelism. See, this is what I mean by evangelism. Here's a brief definition. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. You see, it is within all of who God is and what he has done for us that motivates us to tell others about Jesus. To call people to receive Jesus as Savior. 
If you are in Christ this, this afternoon, judgment day would not be a scary day. It will be a glorious day, a day of great rejoicing and awe and wonder. He won't judge us based upon our sin because he has already done that on the cross. All of your sins, past, present, and future, was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, this day will be a, a day of evaluation of what we have done with his life, with his spirit inside of us, with his love, with his grace, with his truth. You see, after living a life of suffering here on this earth, after picking up our crosses and following Jesus to the end, oh man, we're going to see him. We're going to behold him in the fullness of his glory. Are you excited? Are you ready for that day? You, you're going to be confronted with the one who bore the ultimate cross that you're bearing. He took all of your shame and all of your guilt. See, Paul says it perfectly in, in Romans 5, um, Romans 8.1. He says this, if anyone is in Christ, therefore there is no condemnation. God is not out to punish us because he took our punishment on the cross. Do you believe that this, this afternoon? Christian friends, no longer be scared of the day of judgment because that day would be a day of mercy. The same Savior who said, Father, forgive them. The same Savior who said that it is finished. He's going to meet you with his loving kindness. He will be the one evaluating us as our king. Our Savior will honor us because of our faithfulness. Our faithful endurance, how we lived under his love and his care. Think about that day each day when you wake up each morning. We were only, we were one day given account to him, the king of heaven. You see, how many of us, we are setting money aside right now for retirement. We're putting money inside of our IRAs. You see, we are, we are doing that so that way we can plan for 65 and above, right? You don't, you don't just wake up at 65 and say, oh, well, I think I should probably get a retirement account. See, many of us are probably putting money aside for our children's education, right? We want, if they want to become a doctor or a lawyer, we, we're setting money aside so that way they can go to a, a law school or get into a good school where they can learn medicine, we don't wake up at the high school graduation and say, I guess it's probably a good time to start saving for that, gradu- their, for that college, right? We don't do that. You see, knowledge about what is going to happen in the future affects what we do today. You see, there will be a day when we will stand before the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You see, we can start today, right now, and getting ready for that day and how we speak and the things that we do. And when that day comes, it'll be too late to make any sort of adjustments. Your decisions about that meeting will have to be made long in advance of that occasion. You see, awe and admiration of God is what motivates us to persuade our co-workers tomorrow and our neighbors today to repent and believe the gospel. Church, does your excitement for heaven cause you to, to care for people? Listen, if you're not a Christian, if you are here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Judgment Day 
will be a scary day. It will be a day of fearful judgment. God is going to judge you based upon your sin. God is going to um, confront you on, on, on any, what you have done with your body, whether good or evil. And there will, trust me, there will be nothing that can save you at the end. You cannot stand before the God on your own righteousness, upon your own good works. The only solid rock that you can stand upon is Jesus Christ. There is hope for you today. He loves you. He wants you. Will you trust him? Will you receive him? He will save you right now and every day leading up to that day. Will you receive him today? Brothers and sisters, let that day draw near, be a motivator for you and I to, to care for the people around us. Parents, love your children, disciple them, teach them the wonderful news of the gospel. Let's not judge others from their outward appearance, but from the heart. Take a look at verse 12 and 13. Paul addresses the, these false teachers who are criticizing his ministry. Those who have attacked his character. They said that he was crazy, that he was out of his mind, and that his letters were too weighty and forceful, that his speech was unimpressive, that his physical body was too weak, that God couldn't use him. See, Paul answered back by saying, my life has been an open book. Before God and before you. See, Paul didn't have this ministry to look good on the outside. But the reveal was on the inside. He did it for the glory of God. Paul didn't serve to be praised by man, but to live for an audience of one. He says, if, if you say that I'm crazy, I'm crazy for God. If I'm in my right mind, and it's for you, church, it's for you, Corinth. Paul is saying, I don't fear man, I fear God. See, Paul didn't think too highly of himself or too low of himself. He's looking to the Lord. Christian friends, can you say that? That you live for an audience of one. You don't persuade others with the gospel to get recognition from man, but to please the one who loved you first. Are you willing to be considered out of your mind crazy for the sake of the gospel? Are you sold out for God and for his message of reconciliation? You see, what would cause Paul to be okay with being considered weak and crazy and unimpressive? What would cause him to lay down his fears and boldly persuade others to follow Jesus? We see in verse 14 and 15 that it was the love of Christ. Paul shifts his gears from the fear of the Lord to now the love of Christ. It's what controls him. It's what was his motivator. It is what completed his motivation. What does this love look like? It looks like the cross. He says, because we have concluded this. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, at the cross, Jesus died to forgive us 
of all of our sins. Jesus did something we could not do for ourselves. He did something that the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He died so that we can live. He died for all. Now all here is all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This is not universalism. Jesus, Paul is not teaching that Jesus died for everyone and that everyone's going to be okay at the end. That is not Paul's teaching. That is not true. That is false teaching. The all here represents every Christian who has placed their faith in Christ. Every Christian that's united to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christian, good news. You have union with Christ. This is God's love for you. Jesus died and was raised for your sake. You died with Christ and you was raised with Christ. Now we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us. This is our motivator. You see, once you know this kind of love, it will compel you to love others. To share your life with others, to share Jesus with others. You're going to want to. You're going to want to do life with other people. People that don't look like you, talk like you, that don't relate to you. You're going to want them to be in your life and to share Jesus with them. See, Paul says in verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him, for their sake, died and was raised. You see, in light of God's love, it frees us from selfishness. We no longer thinking about ourselves. We are now thinking about others. We went from being selfish to selfless. That's what the love of Christ would do to an individual. We would no longer hold our lives with such a tight grip. See, once you encounter the love of God, that grip begins to, to loosen. And you're sharing your life and you're sharing your faith with others. You're sharing the gospel with friends and with strangers. We're sharing our faith to bring glory to God. Church, we have looked at what motivates our evangelism, but what are the effects of us sharing the wonderful message of the gospel? What can we humbly anticipate God doing through us? So point two, what are the effects of our evangelism? You see, when we teach the gospel with the aim to persuade, what can we expect to happen? See, Paul helps answer this question for us with three therefores. In verse 16, we have a new outlook. In verse 17, we have a new identity. In verse 20, we have a new purpose. Let us begin by looking at our new outlook on life. In verse 16, Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We no longer see people through outward appearances. Have you guys ever heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover? That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. We don't judge people by worldly points of view. We don't regard people by their ethnicity, their, their social class, how much money they have in their pocket, where they live in town. Those are all worldly points of view. We don't just share the people, we don't just share the gospel with people that, that, that we like, that we socialize with, that we feel comfortable around. 
we share the gospel freely with all. You see, when you know the love of God, when you know the fear of the Lord, you take the gospel to everyone. You see, when you have received Jesus as your Savior, you have participated in his, in his death and resurrection, it propels you to go everywhere, to every nation. No matter who you are and where you're from, in Christ there's only two human races. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. See, Paul says that he once regarded Christ according to the flesh. He's, he saw Jesus as just this, um, this, this Jewish carpenter, this radical teacher, this enemy of God, until he encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus. And when he encountered the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it changed his, it turned his whole world upside down. He sees Jesus clearly now as the, the Son of God, the living God, his Savior. If you're a guest today, I'm sure you know by now that this church is not out to impress you. Right? We are meeting in a cafeteria. There's no confetti coming from the skies. There's no fog machines. There's no shining lights. If you came for that, I'm sorry. But trust me, what I hope that you did notice about this church is that they love Jesus. And that they want you to know Jesus. They want you to encounter Jesus through the music, through the prayers, through the reading of scripture. They want you to encounter the living God. I hope you found this place as a, as a place of home as, as I have done with me and my family. There's nothing flashy here. I hope you saw Jesus. You see, beloved, the gospel is so beautiful and glorious. Don't worry about being impressive. Just share the wonderful message. Don't worry about having the right words to say or having the right setting in place. Just trust his love for you. Just trust your position in Christ and allow him to move you towards others. We get to show people the real Jesus. When we share the gospel with others, we give them an opportunity to have a whole new worldview, a biblical worldview. They get to see Jesus for who he truly is. He is the savior. He's not just an example. He's the savior of the world. He's not just a good teacher. He's the Messiah, the son of God, who came to love us and to bring us to God, to, to reconcile us to God. You see, believing in him would change the way we view the world around us our outlook, but also our identity. Take a look at verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. Here we have Paul declaring that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are inside of Christ. And therefore, you have this new identity. Not only is your outlook on life different, but you are different. God doesn't just change some little minor features. He changes us. He gives us a new heart. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. You see, this is pointing us back to our old life. The life we used to live in sin. That life that was put in the grave. 
that caused us to be filled with guilt and shame. Right now, church, you have been resurrected with Jesus. The new has come. You see, this is what Jesus means by being born again. You see, as a Christian, our past no longer defines who you are. You see, I used to be a self-centered womanizer who just wanted my own glory. But that's not me no longer. That doesn't define who I am now. I am in Christ. Those mistakes from the past no longer control who I am or what I do. What about you, beloved? Do you live in regret of your past? Are you constantly walking around with the, the stench of the dead man that was in the grave? Are you constantly being reminded of who you once were or what you once did? See, God is not just putting up with you. He loves you. He truly does. Listen to me. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of you. You've been raised with Christ. So walk in the newness of life. Beloved, don't let your past stop you from doing what God is calling you to do. You are his ambassador, his evangelist, his son and daughter. You're not a second-class Christian. You are first-class Christian. How can this be true? Take a look at verse 18. He says, all of this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The word reconciled simply means that God has made his enemies his friends. He has done but what Paul says at the end of verse 19, that God does not count our trespasses against us. Church, the primary problem in our world today is not that you need a better family, a better job, better children, your primary problem is sin. You see, sin caused us to be enemies of God. It's the reason why we're so selfish and rebellious. For any problem you're facing today doesn't come close to the problem of sin. The only way we can, we can become reconciled to God is by first addressing how damaging our sin is to God. Repenting and believing in the gospel. You see, this is what causes us to be a new creation. This is how sinful people like us can be reconciled to a holy God, a holy and righteous God. You see, the only reason this room is filled with Christians, the only reason this room is filled with new creations is because someone shared the wonderful message to you. Look around, be amazed that God has reconciled you to himself through the death and resurrection of his son. Praise God for the, the bold Christian who, who, who told you about Jesus. The gospel is truly the power of God for salvation to all who believe. See, this is the message that we have been given. Who will you take it to? You see, our sharing of the gospel gives us the opportunity for our neighbors and friends and co-workers, family members to no longer be defined by their sin or by their past but to be defined by God as a born-again Christian, a born-again child of God, a new creation. You see, not only does evangelism affect our identities, but it also gives us a new purpose. Take a look at verse 20. 
This is the next, the final therefore. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. You see, an ambassador is someone that is sent on a mission to represent the one who sent him. That's you, beloved. See, if anyone is in Christ, they have been given a new outlook on life, a new identity, and a new purpose. We represent King Jesus. When you leave here today, you represent King Jesus. When you go home and you're interacting with your spouse, you represent King Jesus. When you are discipling your children, when you're talking to them, you are representing King Jesus. When you show up to work tomorrow morning, you go through those doors and you see your coworkers and your boss, you represent King Jesus. The one who loved you and gave his life for you. You represent him. You are the light of the world. You are the city on the hill. Don't put it under the bushel. Let that light shine. Everything that you do, everything you say, you are an ambassador. You represent the king of kings. If this is true, what are the interests of the king? What is the message of the king? You see, the interest of the king is the glory of God. And the message of the king is that he wants us to be reconciled to God. How are sinners reconciled to God? How can sinners no longer live in hostility but have peace with God? Beloved, it's when you open your mouth. It's when you share the wonderful message of Jesus. When you share, in verse 20, when you, when you open your mouth, God is making his appeal through you. God is doing the work. This is our purpose. We get to be the very instruments in the hands of God. We are his workmanship. You see, when we tell the world that a holy God desires a relationship with them, but there is a fundamental problem in his sin, and the hope for our sin is faith in Jesus Christ, God is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Beloved, there'll be a day when all of our friends, all of our coworkers, our boss, our family members who don't know Christ, they would stand before God. They would stand before the judge. And God would judge them according to their trespasses. Because he is holy, he doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. Because he is holy and good, he has to punish sin. But here's the good news. Here's our message. Look at verse 21. It says this, for our sake, he made him who, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our message. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. All of this is from God. God became human and lived a perfect life, a life that we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve. So on that cross, he, he took our sin and he imputed his righteousness upon us through faith. You see, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were, were given to Jesus. And he has given his righteousness to us. He has added to our account, added to our ledger. This means when God sees us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. 
He sees his perfect son. You see, we stand before God as righteous. This is the beautiful reality of our message. This is the effects of our evangelism. God is making his appeal through us, telling the world to be reconciled to God. See, if that's you this afternoon, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll beg you, I'll plead with you to be reconciled to God. Receive Jesus today. You see, what will motivate us, beloved, to share this wonderful message this week? We have the sweet privilege to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by declaring this wonderful message. See, God gives us opportunities, doesn't he? When we fail, he gives us more opportunities to share. You see, when I finished this sermon at that coffee shop, I closed my laptop and I prayed, Lord, send someone. I would love to just share this wonderful message, compelled by your love. There you have it, DeAndre. He comes up and I say, hey, brother, can I share the gospel with you and buy you some coffee? And he said, yeah, and I got to know him. And he, guess where he's from? Baltimore City. I'm here in, in, in Bowie Merlin at a coffee shop, and I'm running to DeAndre, who lives in Baltimore City. I invite him to the One Hope Conference. I tell him about the garden. I tell him about the church plant. He's excited. And will, you, will you pray for DeAndre? You see, guys, when we fail, God gives us more opportunities. God knows what he's doing. When you're compelled by his love and his grace, guess what? He's going to use you. He's going to speak through you. He's going to call people to be reconciled to God. God so loved the world that he gave a wonderful gift, a wonderful Savior. And he sent him for us so we can know him and to treasure him in our hearts. So we can go and and be his evangelists, to be his heralds of the, the sweet message of the gospel. You see, I believe I shared that story not because I'm some kind of hero, but because Jesus is the hero. He's the hero. He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor. You see, if you're just like me, you're weak, you're unimpressive, and you're in need of God's grace. But guess what? He has called you out of darkness to declare his marvelous light, his excellence. Will you pray for opportunities when it comes? And when they come, will you boldly share the wonderful message of the gospel? Using our words to persuade others to be reconciled to God for the glory of God and not for the glory of self. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know many of us here, we have come today with many different struggles many different sufferings and temptations and weaknesses. God, I pray that you will help us, despite all of these things, to do what you call us to do, to share the wonderful message, to share the gospel, not seeking to be impressive, but seeking to be a vessel that you use for your kingdom so that people can see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing the good news. I pray that you will send us out to bring glory to your name, being controlled by your great love as we wait for the return of our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.